You're listening to The Golden Mean. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Golden Mean Podcast. This is episode number 88. My name is Swan. I'm Timothy. And we are back with another one of these uh, topic episodes. Essentially, that's the format that we're going to be working with. If you didn't um, hear about that last week, last week we covered the NBA offseason, most of which we had missed due to our hiatus. Um, and this week we're going to be talking in detail about Afghanistan and what's happened recently. So I'm which sure everybody. Which is a 180 for sure. But... Yeah. So that's kind of going to be the theme, right? Sometimes we'll talk about basketball, sometimes we'll talk about a very deep political issue. That's just kind of how we roll a little bit you know we have different interests so we like talking about different things so that's kind of where we're at i'm sure this topic has been on everyone's mind ever since you know the u.s left and we saw the taliban occupying the country again um so we are a little bit late to this but we thought you know we would spend the time to really explain what's been happening um kind of the historical context and what we think will happen in the future um so for that we'll have some questions that kind of mirror what i just said we'll think about why the u.s invade in the first place why did they stay why did they leave and then what are kind of the consequences for the future um so we'll start off i think with a little bit of you know history a little bit of context um so i'll let you take that away tim yeah so just a quick you know pre-us involvement in afghanistan history lesson um basically let's go back forever but we'll start about 1979 is the soviets back you know when the cold war was in its um full stage invaded Afghanistan to prop up a pro-Soviet government, right? If you know a little bit about the Cold War, U.S. and Soviets were both propping up governments to favor them. And the U.S. backed a bunch of people who were called Mujahideen, I think I'm pronouncing that right, um, fighters that were fighting the Soviets, giving them weapons and supplies and stuff. And eventually the Soviets got tired, like the U.S. did, and left Afghanistan. And then the Mujahideen groups all started fighting each other to take control of Afghanistan, one of which was the Taliban, um, or what became the Taliban. And they started taking over Afghanistan, and they teamed up with somebody you might have heard of, Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda, and were giving them safe harbor, and Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda were helping them fight the other groups in Afghanistan. And then in 1996, the Taliban took control of Afghanistan up until 2001, um, and they were imposing, you know, the strict Islamic restrictions that they've become famous for. They did some notable stuff, like they blew up the famed Buddha statues out in the mountains. Um, and then were aiding Al-Qaeda, who was carrying out terrorist attacks around the globe, primarily aimed at the United States and its allies. And then we get to 9-11, and, you know, that just passed this last weekend. And so I don't think we need to go over that, but again, you know, when... They uh, hijacked the planes, crashed them into the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, everything else. So um, so that was kind of a two-minute version of a lot of history there. Um, yeah. <laughs> which directly leads into our first question and the answer to our first question, which is why did the U.S. invade Afghanistan in the first place? And given at the time, was it a reasonable decision? Which... To my answer, at least, is, oh, let's let's just say the reason the U.S. invaded Afghanistan was 9-11. Um, obviously, that was a devastating blow to the United States. Um, and it was not the first attack by, by Al-Qaeda launched out of Pakistan. I mean, there was the attack on the USS Cole. There were several embassy bombings. There were others. You know, we could spend a long time listing those. But essentially, 
After 9-11 swan, the United States decided to punish al-Qaeda, who was hiding in Afghanistan, and to punish the Taliban, essentially, for hiding them and giving them free reign. Right. And I think it obviously 9-11 itself is a very significant reason. I think 9-11 and, and the aftermath has changed, I think, history um, for um, the long term. It's changed UN, U.S. foreign policy. It's changed its reactions to outside populations, especially the Muslim populations. There's been a lot of consequences that came out of 9-11. And this was kind of the principal one. It was like U.S. historically has like really never been attacked on its home soil and when it has i.e pearl harbor it's gone to war right and it's kind of what happened with 9-11 as well as soon as uh, the twin towers were hit and we suffered the human consequences it was like okay everyone was like we have to do something and this was kind of the direct consequence right going into afghanistan to find al-qaeda and just target them um and you know afghanistan was kind of the grounds for that right it wasn't like the u.s was like okay like afghanistan is the perfect place it was just kind of where um the taliban was and and al-qaeda was at the time so that's kind of where we ended up so i think why did the u.s admit in the first place is probably the most clear thing because you just have to watch probably any George Bush speech from after 9-11, and you could see the sentiment of the U.S. at the time wanting to get revenge, right? That was the initial feeling um, going into the first invasion. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's definitely that feeling you're really hitting on of, we needed to hit something. We got hit, we needed to hit back. Um, you know, I think that kind of comes with the territory, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily a good way to operate, but it comes with the territory of being the world superpower, of being one of those is when you get hit, you know, you can't, what's the saying, you know, you don't have to kill God, you have to make God bleed to make him not God or whatever, right? The U.S. got made bleed, so now they got to finish that or else everybody else is going to take their second shot, you know? And this was the culmination, right? As I mentioned earlier, there were several attacks leading up to building up to this. And so I, you know, Swan, you know, maybe looking back, but like, this isn't maybe the same answer, but like at the time in the moment, I think the decision was reasonable, you know, I don't think it, you know, you can make an argument whether it was the right one, but it wasn't an out of nowhere decision. Yeah, I think that's how I would characterize it, too. Not because I agree with the reason, but because it with the sentiment and with what everyone was feeling like this felt like it was going to happen anyways because of the current state of the U.S. and just kind of its historical kind of decisions um, entering into conflict. Um I think in terms of the war aspect, it is surprising to some extent because, you know, during the Vietnam War and, and all that, like there was a lot more reaction, reactions like against war that we didn't want the U.S. to be engaging in these huge wars that we had no part of. But I think this one, because it was in U.S. soil, it was like that sentiment kind of flipped, right? Yeah. So even though I personally wouldn't agree with the reasons of doing a full-scale invasion um, in terms of you can understand why it happened within that context, right? Yeah, and I think that's the other thing is you were one, I was two when this happened. So we don't really know right. how everybody was feeling. And I'm sure we might agree a little more if 9-11 happened today. You know, um, I think knowing myself, I probably would have been fully on board with this in the moment. Um, you know, again, benefit of hindsight. 
but you know, I think I would have been there. And you know, to be fair, before we get going any further, the initial returns were really successful. I mean, the U.S. kicked the Taliban out of Kabul in a month after we invaded. We had them on the run. We kicked Al Qaeda out primarily within a couple months. I mean, we destroyed most of their major camps and stuff. So the early returns were really, really good, actually. Um, but then we kept going. And so that kind of leads us into the next question is, you know, why did the U.S. stay? You know, and what were the consequences of that, essentially? Yeah, and I, and, I, and I like that you put something very simply, which was, yes, we did get those returns, but we also did not get the primary target, which was bin Laden, right? That took it till 2011. He was kind of this shadow figure, right, that just kept, like, almost giving a reason for the U.S. to stay, kept, kept giving that justification, primarily. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think if we get him bin Laden, we actually got really close. Like, we missed him by, like, a week at one point or I don't even think it was a week. I think it was less than that, like a couple of days. And if we got him when that first opportunity, I think in December um, in 2001, I don't know if we stay. Definitely not as long as we did, you know? Right. Uh, That's the thing about this type of, I don't I can't think of a better phrase besides like revenge war or like um, using, you know, arms to, you know, get vengeance or whatever. It's like, then you get stuck on, there's just this one person we have to kill and it's over, right? And they're so stuck on that for a long time. And I think Belanin got so much more power than he could have ever imagined because of that, right? Just his mere existence was a threat, right? And I think that's kind of where the U.S. started going wrong was the way that the rhetoric was set up. It was like, oh, we had to go kill these guys and we especially had to kill Belanin. And since we weren't able to do that, it was just like, okay, now we have to stay. And then everything else kind of came along with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, you know, building off of that too, kind of the more logistical part of this is um, also encapsulated by George Bush. He had a speech in 2002 where he said, by helping to build um, an Afghanistan that is free from this evil um, and is a better place in which to live, we are working in the best traditions of George Marshall, you know, the Marshall Plan where, um, you know, the U.S., such as helped revive Western Europe from the war. Um, and this idea was that, you know, we had we're, we were here, we had eradicated this evil, and now we would prevent that from happening again, right? So we can go to the logistics more, but from a rhetorical level, this was the argument that George Bush made. And I think most people at the time agreed with. Again, we were like two or three, but like, that's what, um, that's the general sense that I get. Yeah. And so that's how this thing started to shift into from, right, we're going in, we're kicking out Qaeda's ass and just moving through, right? And we're going to get Bin Laden. And on one hand, we didn't get Bin Laden, which allows that one track of, hey, we got to get Bin Laden. We can't leave until we get Bin Laden kind of thing going. But, you know, that doesn't hold up on its own. And so we get this second track building, which is that nation building track. And the one we get stuck on right now is that we had to quote-unquote fix Afghanistan, right? That we need a democracy, we need a pro-U.S. democracy. Um, and, you know, this is kind of why I bring up the Soviets in that previous history. We're falling into that same thing of, you know, we want a government in Afghanistan that's favorable toward us. Now, obviously, you know, a government that's downright on board and aiding, attacking us, that's 
not okay. That's an act of war, you know, even if they're not necessarily declaring war, right? Which is, again, one of those, like, reason why we invaded in the first place is justifiable. But, you know, now we have this thing of, well, we're not just settling for a government that's not trying to kill us. We want a government that's going to be helping and supporting us. Right. And that's, I think nation building in Afghanistan is an easy phrase to use, but I think really it was also the U.S. kind of extending its reach, right? Kind of extending its its empire um, to the Middle East. Like they kind of just got a reason to enter, right? So for them on a, an ideological, like what you've been saying, and also like strategic level, they didn't really have a reason to leave, right? Like once they were able to occupy Afghanistan, it was like, People were like, oh, it's justified that the U.S. is there. Like, what else would they kind of get that opportunity, right? To, like, literally occupy a country in the Middle East and just stay there. And to be able to build one, essentially, that would be on their side, right? I feel like from a superpower perspective, that's kind of the ugly part of superpowers, right? Like, they feel like they have to always do stuff that extends their power. And I think this was also one of those cases. Well, I also think it did make a lot of sense. Because, again, as much as we kicked al-Qaeda's butt, we're, we're, we're doing it. Obviously, we didn't get them all, you know? And there were other threats in the Middle East. There were threats, and they, you know, some of them moved to Pakistan. They were operating out of Pakistan now. There were threats from Iraq and Iran. We were also fighting the Iraq war right now. Like, you know, that's something we're not really talking about today, but that's also happening. And so from a U.S. perspective, you're right, that strategic ability to just be able to operate out of Afghanistan and be able to do those you know, the covert, the drone strikes, the covert special ops missions that, you know, I don't know if need is the right word, but are definitely not only furthering U.S. interests, but like protecting U.S. people, you know, protecting people from su- from large scale bombing attacks, from suicide bombers, like that stuff. Afghanistan did provide a good place to do it. But, you know, again, the goal was, you know, and this was the stated goal, was to eventually be able to transfer this over to the Afghan National Army, and the problem was, is the Taliban came back, and the Afghan National Army wasn't up to the task at all. Um, I think in around 2006, they started taking territory in southern Afghanistan again, right? Started grabbing that back, and so then the U.S. has got to stay, right? We got to stay to, you know, make sure the Afghans don't lose it, and even though, I mean, we ended, we quote-unquote ended combat operations in 2013, I think. Um, but we were staying there because, you know, so while the Afghan army was supposed to be doing everything, we were providing that, like, backbone, right? And so, you know, we kind of got trapped in this, right? That, oh, shoot, the Taliban's back and the Afghans aren't ready to deal with it. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, that, that constant battle also, like, that really never ended. I mean, I guess until until recently, like, kept providing that reason. So whether or not the U.S. liked it, as soon as it went in, it had reasons to stay on, and then also reasons to not leave, right? I yeah. feel like that's pretty fair to say. Um, I think kind of a more, like, grounded more in, like, um, research um, in terms of what we've been talking about, you know, a 2008 study, so this is pretty old, um, but this is pretty reliable, and I'm sure, like, other studies more recently probably will say similar things. Like, there were established in a, a basic democratic institutions, right? There's, like, the parliament, 
Um, there's also significant improvements in healthcare, immunization, infrastructure, education, right? And like you said, the security forces. So those are all the kind of benefits of the U.S. being there, right? The, the U.S. had money and they would bring their money um, to Afghanistan. But then also the other side of that is over time, I think Afghanistan, people started in the U.S. started seeing it more as like a project, right? Kind of like we have to keep this floating in a sense. And a lot of that came from like pressures from donors, right? When you are when you have a project, you're going to be trying to get people to invest that money. And they're going to want returns, right? And some of the uh, the study found that a lot of the projects were more based on, like, getting those fast, um, visible results. Maybe, like, building a bridge versus, like, um, actually getting, um, you know, people equipped to kind of have a livelihood, right? Some of the things that take longer. Um, so I think that was something that the study pointed out, how obviously there were obvious benefits, but then also over time, obvious downsides. Not to mention kind of the psychological effect of having there be constant war, right? Um, I guess you could argue if the U.S. wasn't there, there would be a quick war and the Taliban would come back. But because the U.S. was there and there was that constant fighting, you know, people, and especially kids that grew up there, like had to be familiar with war kind of in everyday life, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think another thing that kind of goes with this is there's, you know, Afghan, if you you know read about it a lot you're going to eventually run into the fact that it's a very warlord centric culture that there's right. like warlords that control areas and so the u.s found it much more expedient most of the time to pay warlords and give right. warlords money to do stuff rather than create up um the infrastructure or to remove the warlords or to get the warlords to give up power right it's much more expedient to pay them and in some cases that worked out really really well the warlords you know, the warlord is a term, right? It sounds so terrible, but it just essentially means the person kind of running the tribal area who usually has the most power. And some of them were good. They wanted to build stuff up, right? They do all that. Most of them weren't. Most of them, right. you were played by corruption. You're played by wasted money. You're played by them trying to further their own power um, rather than do the best of the community. So that doesn't help either, right? And so... You know, and then there's those that are playing both sides. Some are taking kickbacks from the Taliban, some are, or some are taking money from the U.S. and then giving refuge to the Taliban. And so we end up building just this thing where it's like, it's the classic, the foundation was never strong. There's some rotten wood and, you know, all that other stuff in there that kept it from going. And so that's kind of how we got stuck there because we weren't making any progress, Right. right? It's, or it's the like, progress we had made in the yeah. case of the Taliban, because we had kicked them out. They weren't there. They were coming back. And now that progress is being eroded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a shaky foundation suddenly just like overwhelmed with a ton of um, investment interests, especially like within defense. And it's just not going to be a, a great situation um, for the long term. I mean, obviously, we have that hindsight now, right? But I think this just as a case like it makes sense why like over time it just wasn't going to work out maybe the way um that the u.s wanted to um so yeah i guess that's kind of um you know why the u.s stayed and obviously this occupation occurred for a long time um there was that constant war and then increasingly there were talks of the u.s leaving right or troops leaving um, and you can obviously fill out if you wanted to any other information on this, but the next question that we would move to is like, why did the U.S. leave and was it the right call? 
Right. And I think that's the thing. So, right, just quick summarize that thing. We were doing well at first. Then we got bogged down with a bunch of stuff. And then after defeating the Taliban, some remnants of them got away and they came back stronger, and then we got stuck in a cycle, right? And so sooner or later, I guess we realized, we kind of came to the fact that this isn't working, the U.S. presence isn't helping anymore, or if it's not helping, we're not making progress fast enough to justify our investment. And sooner or later, basically, public interest against has been falling precipitously ever since we killed Bin Laden, right? I mean, like, it was going down beforehand, and then we killed Bin Laden, so we got interested for a little while longer, and after that, it just kind of plummeted, right? Public interest. So sooner or later, as politics is always, um, sooner or later, politicians realized it wasn't politically favorable for them. And so ever since Obama, right, even Obama was promising this before we got bin Laden, but ever since Obama, there's been this promise to get out. And finally, we started working to it. And actually, Trump started the process last year um, in 2020, and he began the process of withdrawing troops. And he signed a peace deal with the Taliban. Now, the peace deal was supposedly between the Afghan government and the Taliban, but the U.S. just negotiated with the Taliban. And so this has gotten a lot of occasion because Biden has thrown some blame back at Trump for, you know, everything that's happened recently, right? We're getting to that point in history and Trump's fired back that his peace deal was great, all that other stuff. And I think a kind of an objective perspective on this from experts, people who worked in the Trump administration and Biden administration and Obama and Bush administration, basically anybody who's worked on Afghanistan, you know, the, the consensus is that the deal heavily favored the Taliban. Um, it led to the release of 5,000 Taliban fighters in Afghan custody without any similar concessions from the Taliban, which you can do, I mean, you can think about this really quick, just giving your enemy 5,000 extra fighters is a big deal. Um, and so that was a big deal. But to be fair, the deal had no conditions requiring the U.S. to stay in Afghanistan if no Afghan peace deal, Taliban peace deal was reached, which it was not, or if the Taliban showed any signs of bad faith, which is debatable at this point. Um, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot about that. So Biden had to make the choice to withdraw. That was Biden's choice. He had an out, even though the Trump deal, again, heavily favored the Taliban. The choice to leave was Biden's. Although he delayed the deadline, he decided we're going to stay in the deal and we're going to withdraw. And so from a macro perspective, before we start talking about the withdrawal itself, because that is its own mess, I think the answer has to be that the decision to withdraw from Afghanistan was the right one. I think that has to be the right decision. That, you know, from a macro perspective, right, that Trump and Biden both made the right decision to leave because it wasn't working. And yeah, that's yeah. just, I think for me, it's like almost why didn't it happen sooner? I think there's probably a lot more reasons why, but that's kind of the just, it's like, for me, it's like, I want to take it even one step further, you know, like, I feel like People on the inside probably knew that it wasn't working within even its first decade, but we stayed and extended it another decade. And now it's like people were asking if we should have left. So I, I, I agree with you there. I think it's, yeah, I think that, I think the question is that between getting out now and staying longer, getting out now is undeniably the right decision. 
There's a whole conversation to be made whether we should have gone in the first place, whether we should have left in like 2003, whether we should have left after we got Bin Laden in right. 11. That's where I would time. have very strong opinions. This I can agree with, but I'm like, yes, we should, probably should have left sooner. You know what I mean? Yeah, like we probably should have. I think after Bin Laden, it's very hard to justify, at least from, you know, maybe you can make a justification of a couple of years. You know, 2013, we ceased all major combat operations, which really feels like it should have just been the time to get out. You know, there's a whole bunch of other questions about that, but that was the right choice to get out now. But the withdrawal, so, you know, this is one of those, the withdrawal was the first major screw-up of the Biden presidency, in my opinion. There's minor screw-ups and stuff, but the execution decision, A+, plus, unless you want to downgrade the fact that we should have done it sooner, but, like, you know, for Biden's perspective, he can't have done really done it any sooner. I mean, as president, at least vice president, Senate, that's another story. But, um, you know, a plus decision execution. I think that went from F and they managed to rescue it up to like a D plus C minus, you know, that's yeah. the way I feel about that. Yeah, I honestly don't know that that many details about the execution but from an optics level it looked really bad because as soon as they said they were going to leave the taliban comes back like pretty much instantly and all you see are people like rushing to airports like trying to cling on to airplanes trying to leave and that if i feel like that i don't even have to look at the details like that's how i know that this execution was not ideal by any means yeah so let's talk about this execution a couple stages here i think First one is, what did we do? Which is basically, initially, we just pulled the troops out. And the Biden administration was working slowly to start being able to, you know, let, bring citizens home if they wanted to, but really slowly, not really doing anything on that. All the focus was on the military. And if you could already tell the fact that you would think that getting civilians out first before the military would be the correct order of operations here. And so that's, I think, the first major screw-up you see here. Um, and the Biden administration, in their defense of this, thought it would take between three and nine months for the Taliban, on a best-case scenario, to reclaim Afghanistan completely, so they have time to get civilians out. Obviously, that didn't happen. And honestly, when you're off by that much, you don't get the fact for... You know, right. You don't get bonus points for operating on a different timeline. Um, and so it took 10 days, Swan. 10 days. I don't know. Like, just how I don't know. Like, I mean, to be fair, like, it don't I don't think anybody really thought it was going to take 10 days, but massive intelligence failure there. And then when the U.S., the Taliban entered Kabul, there are approximately 6000 U.S. citizens and hundreds of thousands of U.S. allies, people like interpreters and like basically a, people who would help the war, U.S. war effort in any way that were now vulnerable to the Taliban. And that's kind of where we left. And I think, again, we have to put aside a group here, which is, to be fair, we should have been bringing these U.S. allies, these interpreters and stuff over for the last 20 years. Like the fact that there were hundreds of thousands of them left in Afghanistan most of whom have been applying for visas for years, is 
on is a black mark on Obama's presidency. It's a black mark on Trump's presidency. It's a black mark on Biden's presidency because he didn't speed it up until August. And it's a black mark, quite frankly, on Bush's presidency, too. Like, it's a black mark on all of the last four presidencies. Right. And there's a really good John Oliver video that you can watch if you want to hear more and just explain, like, how terrible this is. But essentially, they were left in Kabul with no help. The U.S. Embassy was gone. Everything, you know, just no good. And then the U.S. started their evacuation. To be fair, again, the evacuation was really, really good. In about two weeks, the U.S. evac'd 120,000 people. We got almost all the citizens out. There were about 100 to 200 left somewhere in there. And most of them, I believe, have gotten out since then. The Taliban recently got the airport up and running and had commercial flights. So on that score, we actually managed to do okay. But that was terrible. Right. That's why you said it went from an F to a D plus, right? <laughs> yeah, like you can't it quite save it. Yeah, it never should have happened there in the first place. But you did manage to mostly save it. Yeah, I think that's the frustrating part for me, though, that the U.S. was capable of this, but they just didn't do it sooner. Um, I think for two reasons: like they just made bad decisions and also had bad info. Like they just did not understand, you know their presence and also like how the African government was going to react. Right. I feel like there was a lack of awareness of that. Um, Cause I mean, we saw a lot of African leaders just like escaping as soon as possible. Right. As soon as the U S said they were going to leave. So I think that was also another part of it. And to kind of talk a little bit about like why it happened so quickly too. I think the African army first off had grown tired of fighting the Taliban. Like, they've been fighting them for a long time there's problems with morale like why would you you know keep ha like putting your lives on the line over such a long time um and then also something that carter um malikshin i'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her name he's a former senior advisor to the chairman of the u.s joint chiefs of staff wrote a book about afghanistan he pointed out how like the taliban can paint themselves quote as those who are resisting and fighting occupation which is something that is kind of near and dear to what it means to be Afghan, whereas there's a much harder thing for the government to claim or the military forces fighting for the government. So on like a ideological level too, there just wasn't much reason for them to like keep fighting. Um, and with the U.S. leaving, it was like, okay, then what are we really doing this for? I think that was a part of it. Um, was that necessarily, um, was that the fault of the Afghan forces? I don't personally don't think so. Um, I think, again, it goes to show a kind of disconnect between what the U.S. saw of Afghanistan and what was actually happening. Um, and I think that goes back to kind of the reasons what we we're talking about with staying, where there was a lot of, like, U.S. oversight going into this project of Afghanistan, but maybe not as much accountability um, or, you know, meeting the Afghan people where they are. So I think that was kind of another problem um, as well of why the Taliban just came in so quickly and we saw those kind of I mean they won pretty much the Taliban not just to come back in but on a rhetorical level right the pictures you see of them coming back and just taking over um, it just 
create this sense of hopelessness that this whole project was just a waste, right? So I think they wanted multiple um, aspects and the U.S. Um, failed to realize kind of what they were doing and how much impact like they actually had. Yeah, I think the one thing I've heard a lot of just to wrap this up is that, you know, people have said like the Taliban coming back was inevitable. And I don't know if it was inevitable, but it was definitely the more than likely solution. And that kind of paints this choice, you know, even more for because I know that's been the thing is, oh, why did we leave? We just spent all this time to, you know, replace the Taliban with the Taliban. And the question, essentially the choice was, do we stay in Afghanistan forever or does the Taliban come back? And there's a small sliver of hope in there where we leave and the Afghan government manages to hold on. And that's it, you know? And so that's what it is. And so quickly, just to kind of summarize the costs of this before we move on, because I know we said 30 to 40 minutes. Um, so we took 19 years in Afghanistan, four presidents. There were 2,352 U.S. service members killed, another 20,000 wounded. Um, 1,144 allied member services killed. Again, all that's um, according to the DOD. So, uh, Brown University estimates 66,000 Afghan soldiers and national police killed, 47,000 Afghan civilians, and 51,000 enemy combatants. The U.S. spent about $2.2 trillion or $317 million per day since 2001 on that on the Afghan war and now there are 2.5 million Afghan refugees um around so yeah it's staggering cost exactly Go staggering ahead. it's crazy that we haven't even we didn't even talk about these costs and it was already looking really bad like the assessment of the overall project and then with this it just makes it even i don't know it just takes it to like levels beyond i think yeah. So anyway, so that's the fundamentals. I think anybody looking back, it has to be counted a failure, you know, whether or not, again, it was reasonable to go in. Getting out now was a good thing. We did accomplish our primary mission in some aspects, even if it didn't hold up. But in the end, we paid a lot and we didn't end up with much. So. Yeah. So now it begs kind of the last question. And this question I don't think will take too long because there's actually not much that we know about it. What will happen in Afghanistan in the, in the near future, in the long term? Obviously, the Taliban are back, um, you know, in the, in the seat of government. Um, you know, they've made some threats here and there. But I actually think that what they do will be very different from their rhetoric and probably what they wanted, what they say, said they were going to do as kind of this outside, you know, fighting force. Because when you become a government, things change. Like you have to gain legitimacy. You have to show other governments that you're capable of implementing some kind of rule of law, some kind of order. Um, so even though there's this whole like rhetoric of like, they're going to, you know, change everything that we've done. Um, and all of that, I think their actions actually in the, sh in, in the long term will be more moderate than what you might expect. That doesn't mean it's not going to be terrible. That doesn't mean it's not going to be terrible. I think it's there's a lot to fear in terms of 
the basic rights and securities of the common people. I'm especially um, extremely terrified for women um, because they have not shown any respect for uh, women's rights. Um, and that's my worry going forward. Um, but I will kind of stand by what I said earlier, which was if they want to be seen as legitimate, they're going to have to be more moderate. Um, and But we'll see if they actually stick to that or not. Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there because you are right. There are A, the Taliban has promised to be more moderate, although their promise to be more moderate is nothing considered what the U.S. would consider right. equality or anything like that or legitimate. But they have promised to be more moderate than they had been. Early reports of that, though, have not been promising. Um, they've, yeah, essentially there's been reports. They said there'd be no reprisal killings. There are definitely reports. The leadership has kind of tried to cast that as, okay, well, you know, we're still trying to make sure we have control of everybody, you know, and they're trying to say point to your point of like, it's different being a fighting force versus being a government and our troops aren't like haven't fully understood and been educated on that difference yet. But there's a good chance that's just rhetoric. Um, so again, you know, right, like that's the question, right? To be fair, they do have some influences pushing them to moderate, which is essentially they need money. Yep. Um, and the U.S. controls most of their money. So they have to, if they want that money, obviously they can find other sources of money. They can, I mean, they've been talking with China, but China, A, doesn't particularly like Muslims to begin with. At least their government doesn't, right? We talked, we covered the Uyghur situation. Um, I probably, I don't think I said that right, but, you know, um, and also China doesn't like the fact that the Taliban is in their backyard. Um, so, you know, we'll see if that goes somewhere, but if they want that money, obviously with the U.S., they're going to have to make moderations. Um, the other thing, the U.S. won't have official diplomatic presence with Taliban. However, there's a group called ISIS-K acting in the Taliban in Afghanistan who hates the Taliban. Again, ISIS-K is a terrorist group. They also hate the U.S. The U.S. doesn't like ISIS-K, so there may be some area there of common interest between the U.S. and the Taliban. We'll see if that goes anywhere. But again, to your point, the odds for women are not learning. Like you hear horrifying stories about them burning diplomas and hiding, you know, and all this stuff. Um, so, you know. At this point, like, I don't know what to tell you about them, so on. Like, the future does not look good. We'll just say that. Right. Uh, I think my main takeaway here is that this should be a lesson for America that whenever it is overzealous on some kind of revenge effort or some kind of war effort, especially on an ideological level, Right, we saw that during the Cold War. We saw that now with the War of Terror, and especially when the capitalist system becomes involved, and there becomes a lot of incentives for return, and that you know, greed, it's not going to end up well, and it's going to end up in a situation where we lose trillions of dollars, tens of thousands of lives, and the end situation is not all that different from how we started. Um, and I'm, I think I'm kind of cynical about this a little bit because 
even as I said earlier that I saw things as being reasonable, I always had the perspective of like, the U.S. is easily like inflamed. Like the the sentiments that exist in the U.S. are easily inflamed, and I don't think this will be the only time where we make a mistake like this. But that won't stop me from like reiterating that we have to learn from it, right? Yeah, definitely. I think I agree there. I mean, on one hand, this is definitely a lesson. We definitely need to learn from this. I think you will see changes in U.S. foreign policy going forward just because this is different, you know. Um, But we'll see what the long-term implications are. I mean, it's not out of the woods that we somehow end up going back in um, at some point. So we'll be monitoring. But yeah, it's I guess the best thing you can say for now is it's over, you know, and that's I think where we're going to end. This is for now. The U.S. involvement in Afghanistan has ended. It cost us a heck of a lot to get here and we didn't get a lot from it. So I think that's a wrap for this one. We'll be back. Got a few potential topics lined up against some stuff we got. The California is having a recall election tomorrow, which I am not privy to vote in anymore. Although I've gotten millions of spam messages. I don't know if that'll be our next topic, but we'll have some topics coming up. So go vote. That's the last thing we'll say if you somehow listened to this before then. But uh, yeah, have a good one, guys. Yep, see ya.